Hi, I'm Meredith. Hi, I'm Joseph, and you are listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? It's a podcast for those who don't want to wait any longer. Okay. Hello, Joseph Bennett. It is in the afternoon here in New York City, 12.53 p.m. Eastern Time to be exact. (laughs) I always, always, always love spending time with you, Meredith. You are the highlight of my week. I have said that before and I'm saying it again, so it must be true. It is true. If I said it twice, it must be true. It is true. You can say it a third time because the feeling's mutual. Okay, I'm going to say it a third time next week. Peace it out a little bit. Oh, wonderful. Joseph, I'm super excited today because we have Barbara Dilly with us. And Barbara Dilly is is one of those humans who's just dear to my heart. And I find myself now that I am out of graduate school, which is where we met, she was one of my mentors and teachers that I find myself repeating things that she has shared with me throughout the years. And uh, so it must be wisdom that needs to be passed on for sure. And also the listeners need to know that Barbara Dilly married my husband and I, and that was also an amazing delight. And uh, I love that that is now a part of our family history. And so I'm going to do a little introduction of Barbara beyond those introductions, uh, the personal introductions, which is Barbara Dilly went to Mount Holyoke College in the 60s, where she trained in classical ballet and studied and performed dance in New York City from 1960 to 1975 with Merce Cunningham Dance Company, Yvonne Rayner, and the Grand Union, a dance theater collaboration that extended the definitions of improvisation. She then formed the Natural History of the American Dancer with Lesser Known Species, and an ensemble exploring structured improvisation, and then moved to Boulder, Colorado in 1974, where she designed the Dance and Movement Studies Program at Naropa University, which is where we met. And she served as the president of Naropa from 1985 to 1993. Her memoir and handbook, which you should purchase this very moment, Teaching, Thinking, Dancing, was published in the spring of 2015 by Naropa University Press and is available through uh, the contactquarterly.com, which we will put in our show notes for you. And I am delighted now to present Barbara Dilly. Hello, Barbara. Hi there. <laughs> it's so lovely to have you on our show. And where are you? Where are you? Uh, call- you're not calling in. You're in a Zoom room. Where do you sit in your Zoom room? What part of the country? I'm sitting in the south of Boulder, Colorado, uh, not far from the gorgeous um, Rocky Mountains. Mm. Um, it's a lovely summer, sunny day here. We have been plagued with smoke, however, from mm. the western fires. And uh, today it's a bit foggy, smoky out there, which is always sad. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm so sorry about that. Truly, truly. So can we jump in, Meredith? Are you okay with that? I would love that. Please, Joseph. Yes. So to catch our listeners up a little bit, they probably already know that this podcast, traditionally we talk about creativity and we talk about being brave and we talk about following our dreams and giving ourselves permission around all of that. That's not so much what we're talking about today, is it? Can you fill us in a little bit 
either Barbara or Meredith. What are we talking about today? Well, when Meredith first approached me about being on your podcast, I told her I wasn't sure I was the right person to be interviewing just from the little bit that I'd seen because I have left behind my highly involved artistic and creative and pedagogical research around movement studies and improvisation and performance and so forth and have become an, I am an octogenarian and I've entered into, crossed over this bridge and entered into this landscape of being an old person or an eld, in my elderhood. There are a lot of preferred and unpreferred names, like so many situations in life. <laughs> and um, it's kind of my, my research these days is about aging and meeting it with who I am and what I know and uh, studying it and understanding how it is in our culture and how it unfolds for me and for the people around me. So that's, I, I said, are you sure you want to? I mean, I, I'm, that's more what my focus has been is how do I age well? Well, And, and I immediately said, yes, this is Absolutely. definitely... Definitely mm -hmm. relevant to this podcast because it's about giving yourself permission and whatever that looks like to you. And so this happens to be where you are presently in your own life. And Barbara, I, you know, I, I know m many elders or have known many elders in my life. And you, to me, are quite inspirational because it is not something that culturally we're that this conversation has been invited into the space and please share with me information that you've gained on this because of your research, but it's not encouraged to talk about it in this mindful way. It's made to be, it's made to be scary. It's made to be the thing that our, our mortality is scary. Right. And so uh, I, I was incredibly inspired and also excited to have you talk about this on this show because it is a topic that we don't get to talk about often. You named it, Meredith. It's It was uh, sort of a, you know, turning my myself toward this experience and realizing that I was part of a culture that didn't know much about eldering and dying and had a lot of negative attitudes and approaches to it um you know it was kind of shocking and disappointing and I was kind of pissed off <laughs> yeah but I did receive a wonderful uh book from a friend of mine which I recommend uh by Ashton Applewhite who's done also quite a few I think TED talk type things around aging and ageism but she wrote a book called this chair rocks mm. and it's a manifesto against ageism and it was really profound for me to read I didn't finish all of it but I the first couple of chapters kind of knocked my socks off because she talked about internalized oppression around ageism and I'd heard that phrase in my early seminars or 
teachings around diversity training through the college that I worked with in the early 90s and so forth, but I didn't quite understand what it meant. But when I heard the phrase internalized depression and ageism and acknowledged what it was that I was experiencing, it was OMG. That's going on. Yeah. Can you tell us, can you give our listeners the definition, your definition of internalized oppression? It's actually holding deep within your conscious and subconscious uh, conversation, a uh, judgment or a fear or a list of pejoratives or uh, a way that you judge yourself primarily. So it's internal. Mm -hmm. It's something that you hold inside yourself and it's an oppression. So it's a, it's a sense that I'm doing something wrong or I haven't done it right. And so this is why I'm aging or, uh, I should have done that. You know, it's a kind of um, subconscious self-judgment situation is the oppression part. And uh, Joseph, do you have a question? I do. Thank you for that because that's huge. It's it's something that is felt by many elders, I assume, and not spoken of. But I'm also curious about the part of, you know, in your past, Barbara, you were pretty visible on stage and being president of a, of a highly acclaimed university. And I'm wondering if invisibility has shown up in your research as somebody ages and gets closer to the final chapter or, or the final curtain call. I'm wondering if invisibility has come up. That's a big one, Joseph. It definitely is part of the dynamic as I've done my research and reading is that Uh, and you can kind of investigate this for yourself, is when you see an old person, do you look at them or do you look away? It's really kind of that straightforward, I think. You you just are not quite so visible and uh, you're not included and people aren't sure always what to do if you show up. Hmm. And have you felt that often in your own life? Well, I mean, as I've looked at this and, and explored this, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a, there's, a, there's a double side to being invisible. A certain part of it is kind of joyous for me. I mean, I like being able to go places and not have to worry about the fact that people are watching me. Hmm. So oh, I kind of appreciate being invisible. <laughs> 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 But I've had to start using a cane recently, and I am surprised to find that the cane walking around in stores and shops and so forth with a cane makes me more visible. Mm. And there are definitely other beings who uh, see me with a cane and immediately want to offer me whatever kind of assistance they can. Wow. And the, one of the most striking examples of that was I went to the <laughs> uh, motor vehicle agency to get a handicap sticker for my car, which I love 
having, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) badge of elderhood, because you can just zip right in there into a parking spot right near the door. Anyway, I went in there. It was very crowded. And as soon as I walked in with a cane, one of the people at the motor vehicle agency came up to me and showed me to a seat where I could sit. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Okay, so the cane is kind of a badge also, some kind of cultural. So I'm just learning all these things, you know. The cane mm-hmm. is kind of a, 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 a you makes you stand up, stand out, and certain kind beings will then help. Hmm. What I'm noticing about this conversation, Barbara, is that you, because of your history, I assume, and your studies and all of that, that you're finding the blessings in this third yes. act of your life. And that's yes. huge, right? Yes, it's a daily... It's a daily practice, frankly, uh, as I lose mobility and um, familiarity with, I mean, I had a great deal of blessings in my life in my adult years. I was physically very strong and had a lot of skill and could do things and go places and did. And But now that is diminishing. And so there's this constant... Uh, balancing act between kind of the grief of what is gone and the appreciation and value of what is still there and what is being uh, uncovered. Mm. Invisibility is being uncovered and quiet is quiet is something I really value a great deal. And of course the pandemic gave me a lot of, chance to practice these skills. We all had chance to practice these skills in lockdown and so forth. Yeah, I'm curious. Thank you, Barbara. I'm, I'm also curious because I know the contemplative studies, your Shambhala practice, uh, I'm curious how that has informed that meditation practice and, and so forth, has informed how you look at aging today and how that's helped you Well, I have been filled with immense gratitude that I managed to stumble into being taught how to tame my mind and develop some mindfulness and some awareness skills. Because at this point in my life, it's very constantly something I'm cultivating. And Mm -hmm. it allows me the ability to to observe my experience with kind of an openness and a recognition that oh you're being shitty to yourself right now oh you want to lie down right now but you think you've already laid down and you think you shouldn't lay down again you know I can observe my kind of critical mind and recognize it and that's all been helped so much by my uh, meditative training and practice. Beautiful. Thank you, Barbara. I, I also have this question too, because, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. I've revealed that I'm in my mid forties, everybody. Um, <laughs> what would you say, because this is the thing that, and I'm just going to share a, a little window into, uh, some of my struggles. I spent, I think an hour this morning online 
looking up anti-wrinkle creams and oils and elixirs and Googling what's the top 10 best and this and that and the next thing to where I got to the point of, I, I noticed my chest getting heavy. I noticed anger starting to emerge and I and I, my choice in that moment was I didn't purchase anything. I just turned off my computer and I walked away and I went and took some big, big deep breaths and I drank some water. And so that's how I dealt with it in that moment. But what brought me to that was the fact that I am constantly, and I think too, in the entertainment industry, in life, it doesn't even matter if you're in entertainment, um, you're constantly bumping up against ageism. That's right. Constantly. And um, so I'm curious if you were to give words of wisdom to a, someone in their mid forties <laughs> or emerging into that phase of their life, which has its own set of issues, what would that, what would that wisdom be? <laughs> the first thing that comes to my mind is get a sense of humor about it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Yes, Anne. <laughs> when, when that first started happening to, Merid, uh, to me, Meredith, I remember distinctly getting into the shower one day, turning on the shower and letting it stream over my face. And I said, and saying an internal voice saying to me, today is the day the shower is going to wash all the wrinkles away. Mm. <laughs> that's that, that's that internal oppression, right? That we were talking about. Yes. It's a very, and I think women, well, I'd, I shouldn't say it anymore, but I think, you know, this country, this culture we live in is really cruel to aging experience. And there is no gracious appreciation or encouragement or celebration or, I mean, sometimes I think to myself, what would it be like if when you reached, say, 75 or 70 or something that you had a ceremony welcoming you into your elderhood? What would mm. that be like? You know, it's we have other types of passage, but there isn't really one. It's just sort of like Joseph is saying, you become invisible. You kind of fade away. Uh, mm. You're put away. You're not a producer. Is there a culture that you can think of in your research that really does a good job of, of lifting up the voices and, and the visibility of their elders? I haven't really gotten into that aspect of other cultures. I mean, I think of elders in other cultures a lot and how they don't have advantages that I have being privileged in a white first, what's it called? First nation? First no. World. First, first world. world. Yeah. So what, what I'm noticing is that when you tell the story of being in the shower and imagining that the water is going to wash away all your wrinkles – what came to mind immediately was self-love. Exactly. And that is part of the conversation these days, more than any other time in history that I can imagine that women and men are consciously taking steps to have conversations and practices and meditations and mindfulness around self-love. And I'm wondering if that shows up in the third act of life as well. It's a whole new ball game, Joseph. And I certainly, within the meditative training that I've had, um, making friends with yourself is absolutely paramount to the journey of mind training that you have to make friends with yourself. And it, it's something that needs coaching and needs help and support. And then 
when I hit my elderhood, it was like, well, I know how to do that. But all of a sudden, these larger experiences around vanity, you know, that Meredith is talking about, how, how do I make friends with this? It's a huge practice. And, and it reveals, for me, because my, my form has been through body training and dance and movement studies, it's, it's all about a certain kind of inbred neurosis of the ballerina, I could mm. say. I mean, it goes back to that point. Yeah. When I was, you know, just looking in the mirror as a young ballerina and fixing everything because it didn't look right. And everybody else around me was involved in this kind of absorption in fixing what is wrong. And that has to be recognized and gently let go of and chuckled at. And I have to develop a loving relationship to my movement and somatic practices. I can't go into my body maintenance and care work with a feeling of I've got to fix it or change it. I have to do something different. Gorgeous. Barbara, what else? The other question I have for you in this journey is how how are you communicating where you're at with aging with family and friends? What does that conversation look like? Well, two things. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, uh, to form a group. There are just three of us. Um, we call ourselves the stormy waves, which is based mm-hmm. on a line from a dedication chant that w- we do in the Buddhist Sangha that goes, uh, birth, old age, sickness, and uh, may I save all beings from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. So in the classical tradition, those are considered stormy waves. They're, they're like turbulent experiences. So of course, we've been through birth, and now we're at sickness, old age, and death. So we call ourselves the Stormy Waves Group, and we meet twice a week, We've done this now for two years, and we literally hold the space for the conversation about old age, sickness, and death among the three of us. And that has been such a gift in my life. And it allowed me, actually, but we started very, very structured and get end-of-life papers together and read literature and look, go to the funeral homes and find out how you take care of the remains. And we did a lot of that kind of stuff. But fundamentally, it got down to a more personal sharing and a a willingness to hold the space for each other to really have personal, to to, to tell about what's happening for us around whatever is going on, body, mind. And out of that came my ability to have a end-of-life conversation with my family just this June. So mm. at a round oh, table, wow. they came to visit me, and, and it was because of this group that I was able to say, I must have this conversation with you. So it was my two sons, my daughter-in-law, and one grandchild. And I said, okay, I'm just going to talk about where I am. With uh, it, For me, it's aging, dying, death, and the remains, these four areas. So I did it, and it was, wow. it was a charged environment but everybody hung in there with me and um, it felt like for me it just felt like such a positive place to to arrive at that that conversation had been had in community with all of them 
Ah, it's that's Thank such you for a doing that. Yeah, it's a gorgeous gift for for everybody, right? To be well, able to, I think, yeah, in different ways. I mean, mm-hmm. Ben Lloyd, who you know a little bit, Meredith, um, you know, he said, uh, "Thank you for doing this, Mom." Hmm. Yeah, I think the it, it's there's something about to be said about the intention behind it, and I would imagine many of our listeners have experienced death in their lives, whether that be a parent or somebody close to them, and those of us who get to organically leave this earth, there's sometimes we don't get that intentionality. We don't give ourselves permission to be intentional about how we exit this earth or this body, if you will. And so I think that it's such a beautiful gift that you and your family, you were able to give yourself permission to gather your family and have the conversation and also have that support group of people that you met with or that you still meet with on a regular basis that kind of helped empower you to get to that place. Exactly. Yeah, it's important to begin to open up to this conversation. And because of how we've been raised and because of our own family dynamics and all kinds of things, everybody's a little different, you know, it's not easy. No, it's not easy, but it's so important to open this last chapter of our lives to something that is more uh, inclusive and more known and people know what you want and you know what you want to have happen, you know, and there are lots of different organizations out there. There Now I highly recommend one is called the conversation project. So -hmm. if anybody is interested in how to get going on this, this is a national organization. Uh, There are a lot of really well-developed guides and trainers around for the conversation project. I'm sure you can Google it and get, find it, you know, Wonderful. Thank you for that resource, Barbara. Um, before we close out today, I would also like to ask, how are, how how have you been celebrating and finding joy in your life? <laughs> well, I, I work with acknowledging little moments all throughout the day when I'm feeling comfortable or really lots of, as you know, my phrase, kinesthetic delight. Mm -hmm. One of the big bridges I crossed was giving myself permission to lie down whenever I wanted to. And Mm. um, lying down often is this extreme pleasant sensation of surrendering my weight to gravity. So that's a moment of joy. I have a, I, I live by myself, but I have a wonderful little house animal named uh, Louie, a beautiful uh, ginger cat, and he's very devoted to me, and he brings me joy. And I have two, I have a downstairs tenant, neighbor, and he just invited his lady friend and her daughter to move in with him, and they now have consciously accepted the role of being helped helpers for me. And so that brings me a lot of joy. Beautiful. Thank you, Barbara. So I am listening to all of this and taking it in. And I always try to have an ear towards our listeners. And Barbara, you've been so generous with your wisdom. And I'm wondering if our listeners wanted to start something 
like a small group of people to talk about aging and remains and dying and all of that, is there a structure or, or an action step that they could take that has helped you in creating that group of, of people? That's, That's great, Joseph. I've, I really would love to help make that happen. And other people have asked about it too. The f- most important thing is that it be no more than three or four people because of scheduling. Um, they don't have to be close friends. They just have to be people who are willing to be a little vulnerable and transparent around this experience. And I think in the beginning, it helps to be more structured. And then, you know, we started around a book by Katie Butler called How to Die Gracefully, I think is the name of the book. I can't exactly remember. But it was it was helpful to have a... There are lots of books out now. I mean, old age and dying is emerging in in the culture as something people are willing to look at and feel. Anyway, her her book, Katie Butler's book, gave us a kind of uh, focus, a structure to begin with. So I think that's helpful. And I think also recognizing that we have this responsibility to get our end of life documents together. And so people could figure out what it is where they live. Each state is a little bit different. You know, there's a medical power of attorney and there's a a legal power of attorney and there are various formal things like that, which are extremely helpful for your family to have that stuff in order. But the most important thing is a small group of people who meet together for a while, a couple of times a month. Wonderful. Thank you, Barbara. Yeah. Well, I want to say it has been such a delight to be able to see you today and to have this conversation with you. And if you want, I know uh, listeners, she turned her camera off for a little bit, but I would love to see your face as we say goodbye. Oh, am I? uh... (laughs) (laughs) There you are. There we go. Oops. And um, I just want to say thank you again, Barbara. So immediately I froze. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it was good to see you. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you, you. And nice to be in conversation. I really uplifted and joyful time for me. Oh, Mm. good. Well, I will be in touch and thank you again. And Joseph, anything else that you would like to say before we close out? I would not to put any pressure on you, my dear, but I'm wondering with all of this research and all of this wisdom and the mindfulness and the practices that you have, do you have one more book in you? Talk about this the third act is that there <laughs> no but i'm open to interviews mm. okay i love that did you hear that listeners she is open to interviews perfect okay thank you barbara have a splendid day and uh we'll be in touch bye thank you thank you lovely meeting you bye We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Are You Waiting for Permission? If you like what you heard, please like, comment, subscribe, and leave us a review. We would sure appreciate it. Also, we want to give a special shout out to Amy Shelley and Gary Grandi of High Fiction for letting us use their music in this podcast. All right, my friends, until next week. Bye. Bye.